Well, good morning, Wallace Sea Church family. Pastor Josh here. And really, if you look around, you'll find out I'm not here. That's because I'm in Iowa right now. And uh, I'm away on vacation this week. I'm pedaling my bike across the state of Iowa. About 450, 460 miles on a trip called Ragbri, along with about 20,000 other people. And this is my seventh time doing the trip, and I'm really excited about it. I know some of you think I'm crazy, and you think that just sounds like torture, but I think it sounds like vacation. So <laughs> I'm excited about it and just some time away. And, uh, you know, the truth is I'm, I'm tired, and I'm excited to get away and to get some rest. So be praying for me that the Lord would recharge my heart. Um, But before I can go, I wasn't able to find anybody to preach this week. So here I am for you on video and I'm out back behind the church and it was raining earlier. So if we get wet, I guess we'll just keep going or call it, call it quits or we'll see what happens. But I've got a, I've got a question for you before we get going. We're going to be in Psalm 104 today. Have you ever written a note to yourself? You know, like just a sticky note to remind you of something that you need to get done. Uh, maybe it's something I got to pick this up after work at the store on my way home, or I got to make sure I call this person, or I got to write a note about what temperature I'm going to put that in the oven and for how long. And I don't know about you, but I've got sticky notes on my sticky notes. I write notes to myself all the time because I get busy, my mind gets cluttered, and I just tend to forget. I forget really important things too. Do you do that? Like, like things that are, that are really important. You're like, how do you forget that? I don't know, but I did. And unless I write it down, it's gone. And even sometimes when I write it down, it's gone. But this morning, the reason I bring that up is in Psalm 104. Really, Psalm 104 is a note to self by the psalmist. It's one big sticky note. And it's one that's about one of those really important things. And you're like, how could you ever forget that? But really, that's what's happening here in Psalm 104. And it's a reminder to the psalmist, but it's a reminder uh, to each of us. And so this morning, we're going to write some notes to ourselves, some things we need to remember from Psalm 104. Uh, But before we do, let me pray, and then we'll dive into the text together. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus, and uh, thank you for the gift of technology uh, that I can record a video, and it can play, and you can use that spirit to work, and uh, through my teaching, even on a Sunday morning when I'm not there, it reminds me, I've said it before, but it reminds me of the way Paul would write letters to the churches in the New Testament. Uh, It's just, if he had a video camera, I bet he would have recorded videos instead. So this morning, Lord, uh, would you teach our hearts, uh, change us, make us more like Jesus, remind us of things, help us to remember them. And uh, I pray against the enemy as well, as servants their works and effects. I pray that technology works for all of this. I pray that uh, you would still engage hearts and uh, that we would learn and leave change to be more like Jesus. Father, thanks for your grace to me and thanks for your grace to us. We pray all of this through our Savior Jesus. Amen. Well, the psalmist, as I said, is writing a note to himself. It doesn't say that, but that's essentially what's happening. Psalm 104, you've heard it read already on the video, but why don't you look at it with me now? Look at verse 1 of Psalm 104. Look what the psalmist writes. He starts out right away. And he, 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 he writes down what this note is. And he starts a psalm with it and he ends the psalm with it. And here's what it says. It says, uh, bless the Lord, O my soul. Bless the Lord. In other words, really what he's doing is he's taking a sticky note and he's writing, uh, note to self, bless the Lord. 
that's what that means. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. He's preaching to himself. He's preaching to his heart, saying, don't forget this. Bless the Lord. What does it mean to bless God? Well, it means to speak well of him. It means to praise him. It means to worship him. It means to honor him in my life. To remember him as I go about my life day to day. It's remembering that it's all about Jesus all the time. That's what it means to bless the Lord. And I need to remind myself that that's really what life is all about, that it's all about Jesus. I need to say to myself, Josh, bless the Lord today. Remember Jesus, honor him today. Do what's right in his eyes today. Because the truth is I forget or I get busy with with my own agenda and I don't pay attention to what God would have me do. Do you do that? Maybe it's just me. But I think we all struggle with that. The psalmist did. He, he writes himself a note. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And then what he does is he lists out a whole bunch of reasons why between his first note where he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and the last note, bless the Lord, O my soul. Note to self. In the middle, he lists all the reasons why. So what we're going to do is we're going to go through this psalm this morning, and we're going to write notes to ourselves on each of those things that he remembers as a reason to bless the Lord. And we should write a note to ourselves and say, hey, note to self, remember this about God. Remember this about God. And that's where we're going to be this morning in Psalm 104. In Psalm 104, what you're going to find out if you really study it, and what I would encourage you to do this week, maybe as you meditate on this psalm throughout the week and study it for yourself, compare it with Genesis 1 and 2. Because in Genesis 1 and 2, it's the creation. It's when God creates everything in six days, right? And he rests on the seventh day. Well, if you look through through Psalm 104, you're going to find out that uh, day 1 shows up in Psalm 4. Day 2 shows up in 104. Day 3, all the way down. And maybe you'd take some time to compare each of those things. Some scholars have done that. Maybe you would try to do that this week. But we're going to see God's greatness in his creation. You ready? All right, here we go. We're going to write our first note. Note number one, or letter A on your notes. Note to self, God is very great. He's very great. Look what he writes. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with lights as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. Oh, Lord, my God, you are very great. That's a good place to start in what to remember about God and why we ought to bless him, why we ought to honor him, because he is great. He's not just great. He is very great, the psalmist writes. Think about how great God is. He, he spoke and everything came into existence. Everything you see behind me, these trees, the corn growing in the field, when God designed it, when he thawed it up, he just was like, um, tree, and there it was. Like, he didn't, he didn't have to wait around, he didn't have to work all this, he, he just spoke, it tells us other places in the Psalms, and there it was. He just spoke it into creation. God is very great. Colossians 1 tells us that Jesus is the one who did the creating, that the Spirit also was there hovering over the waters in Genesis 1 and 2. Romans tells us that, Paul says, you only need to look at creation to understand how great our God is. Just look at it. You put a seed in the ground. How in the world does that thing grow? That's by God's design because he is great. To express the greatness of God and of God and the King, God as King, excuse me, the psalmist keeps going. He wants to describe God as King of the universe. So he says, you are clothed with splendor and majesty. 
This idea of splendor and majesty and being clothed in that way is a description of royalty. It's a description of the king. And when we come into the presence of God, we're coming into the presence of the king of the universe, the king of kings. Look how else he's dressed. He says, you're covering yourself with light as with a garment. You know, when you look at a a well-dressed king, you think of him clothed with maybe scarlet and soft clothing and a gold crown and all kinds of things like that. And and the psalmist is like, God, you you clothe yourself with with light. It's, It's bright. It's beautiful. It's amazing to look at. He keeps writing. Covering yourself with light is with a garment stretching out the heavens like a tent. I told you earlier, I'm biking across Iowa this week, and usually every night this week, uh, I'll be staying in a tent. So you, you bike, you know, 55, 60, up to 80, one day 100 miles, and then at the end of the day, you get into the town, and uh, we have a guy with a support vehicle driving all our stuff, and, and he unloads it all for us, and you get there, and it's on the ground, and you pull out your tent, and you set up your tent. So what I do is I pull my tent out and I lay it out. I pull it out of the bag. I unfold it. I kind of shake it out if it was a little wet from the night before. And I spread it out and then I anchor it to the ground, you know, with these like eight inch stakes. And and I put the posts together and I lift it up and I, I put up the tent and I put a rain fly over it. And then I, I go in. Why, why do I do that? Well, so I have a place for my habitation, <laughs> a place to dwell a place to live overnight. That's where I'm going to sleep tonight. I'll be on a, in a tent on the ground. Well, you know, I think of the work that it takes for me to set up that little tent. And the psalmist says that when God created everything, he's so great that instead of just stretching out, you know, this little, uh, this little tent of mine, you know, eight by 10 or whatever it is, he stretched out the heavens. He stretched out the heavens as a tent. You know, it, The Bible often uses this metaphor of God stretching out the heavens as a tent, as a metaphor for his his creative power, his greatness. One of the more well-known examples of this comes from Isaiah 40. You might write this down, verses 21 through 23 in Isaiah 40. Isaiah writes, haven't you heard? Don't you understand? Are you deaf to the words of God, the words he gave before the world began? Are you so ignorant? God sits above the circle of the earth. The people below, they seem, like, they seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain, and he makes his tent from them. He judges the great people of the world and brings them all to nothing. Each day this week, I'll pull out my tent and I'll stretch it out. But God, in the beginning, took the heavens and stretched them out. I'll anchor my tent to the ground. You get to verse 5 of this psalm in Psalm 104 and you find out that God uh, set the actual, he anchored the foundations of the earth. I'll climb into my tent to sleep at night. God later in history will will put on flesh in the person of Jesus Christ and come uh, to tabernacle to dwell among us in this habitation that he's made. Underneath my tent, as I look down, will be grass and there'll be some bugs and maybe grasshoppers. Well, God, as he looks down, it says in Isaiah 40 that he he sees people like grasshoppers. Our God is very, listen, this is what he's saying. Our God is very great. He's very great. In the morning, I'm going to pick my tent up. I'm going to roll it up and put it away. And at the end of time, do you know what God's going to do? He's going to take the heavens, which he stretched out like a tent, and he's going to roll it all up and put it away. That's what it tells us in Revelation chapter 6. Now, I struggle to do that with my tent. (laughs) 
I struggle to get it all put away the way it was, and I struggle to get it up, and God does this with the universe. He's very great. Note to self, your God is very great. Look at verse 3. It goes on talking about his greatness. He lays the beams of his chambers on the water. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. This, this week, my bike is my chariot, and I'm riding up the hills into the wind. God is like, nah, I just ride on the wind. I created it. I ride on its wings. His, the, the clouds are his chariot. He makes, verse 4, his messengers, winds, his ministers, a flaming fire. And messengers, this is the same word uh, as angels. And in Hebrews 1, 7, the writer of Hebrews actually quotes this verse to talk about how the angels are below Jesus. They're just messengers. And, and ministers, God is the one who puts a flame of fire in those who teach and preach his word. Do you ever, do you ever come away from uh, someone's sermon or someone's teaching and you go, man, that just, that hit me right here. Uh, like it was just like something was burning in me. Listen, that, that was not the man or the woman teaching and speaking. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's our God who is very great. He makes his ministers a flaming fire. This idea of, of wind and fire, it shows up again, power of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost, right? Note to self, God is very great. But also another note to self if I'm going to bless the Lord, i got to remember God is great, but I also need to write a note and remember that God is the ruler. God is the ruler. So as we keep going, we're going to see more of God's greatness, but now we're going to see some ways he's great. So first, he's the ruler. Look at verse 5. He set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. The psalmist writes, You, Lord, you covered it with the deep as with the garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke they fled, at the sound of your thunder they took to flight. The mountains rose, the valley sank to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass, so that they may not again cover the earth. God rules over his creation. He's very great. Now does this this whole passage, verses 5 through 9, does that remind you of anything? Maybe you turn back quickly to Genesis chapter 1, very beginning of your Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Uh, the psalmist says, you, you cover the deep as with a garment. And the, the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. Verse 4, God saw that the light was very good. And he separated the, separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and morning the first day. And then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate waters from waters. And God made the expanse. He separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. So the waters below, the waters above. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. See, the psalmist is just creatively expressing what happened in Genesis chapter 1. He's saying, you covered it with the deep as with a garment. The water stood above the mountains. But then what does God do? He separates the waters, the waters below and the waters above. 
And, and then he said he, he separated the, the waters from the dry land. The, the mountains rose, it says in verse 8, and the valleys sank down to the place appointed for them, and the waters were given their boundaries. Have, have you, ever, you ever gone over to Lake Wabasee and you've said, like, okay, water, stop. Like, that's your boundary. Or, you know, I want you, I want you to come a little further in. Maybe, maybe you have some friends or maybe you even have a home on Wabasee or on one of the lakes. And, and you're like, you know what, I, I really want my shoreline to come in a little closer to the house. Why don't you, why don't you come in? And you just speak to it and it does it. Or you want it to go out a little farther and you just tell it. Did you ever do that? That's what God did. He set a boundary for the waters so that they might not again cover the earth. Our God is very great and he rules over his creation. Verse 7, at your rebuke it says they fled. Does that remind you of any passage in the New Testament? Jesus is out on a lake, on Lake Galilee. There's a huge storm. He gets woken up in the midst of the storm, and what's he do? He rebukes the waves, he rebukes the wind, and calm. I wonder if Mark had this passage in mind as he wrote Mark chapter 4. Jesus is God. The disciples are like, who is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Well, he's God, and he's very great, and he's the ruler. But not only this, here's a third note to self. Letter C, note to self, God provides for his creation. See, God isn't just outside of his creation not caring. He's involved in it. That, that's deism, where they say, God just created everything and then he let it go. He just let the, the, the works of nature just play themselves out. But that doesn't seem to be the case. Let's keep reading. He provides for his creation. Verse 10, you make the springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. They give drink to every beast in the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Beside them, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. You ever see a spring? You ever dig a well? You ever wonder where the water comes from? Well, okay, yeah, it comes out of the ground. But how did it get there? Who, who put it there? Who, who made it to be there? Who provided the space? Oh, God did. It's his design. He created it. And he provides for his creation. He provides for you water. He provides for the animals. Drink. What I want you to see here is that God isn't just outside of his creation. He's involved in it. And he provides for it, all of it. And he loves it. Why? Because he made it. It was his idea. It was his idea. So you were his idea. I was his idea. And he provides for us. If you ever wonder about God's goodness, just remember God provides for his creation. Now, there's two ways I believe he provides. Number one, he provides for our needs. He provides for our needs. He, he provides for and he sustains creation. He, he gives you water to drink. He gives you food to eat. He gives you clothing to wear. He gives you shelter. God gives you all that you need. He does. This whole section reminds me of of Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6. Do you remember those? He's talking about worry and anxiety. And he says in verse 24, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and despise the other. So you can't serve both God and money. That's why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear, isn't life more than food, Jesus says? And your body more than clothing? Look at the birds, he says. And look, the birds were just mentioned here in Psalm 104. It says, Besides, beside them, the, the birds of the heavens dwell. They sing among the branches. Jesus says, look at those birds. Look at them. They don't plant. They don't harvest or store food in barns. I haven't seen a bird build a barn lately. 
but your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable than the birds, Jesus says? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Clearly they can't. If anything, they take away moments and energy from our life. And why worry about your clothing, Jesus says. Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, yet Solomon in all of his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Don't worry about these things, Jesus says. Don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will have enough of its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. God provides for his creation. Look at verses 10 through 11. You, you make springs gush, gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. Why? Well, they give drink to every beast of the field. Wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds uh, nest happily beside them and sing. If God provides for them, won't he provide for you? Note to self, he provides for his creation. Number one, he provides for your needs. But there's a verse coming up here that is incredible to me because it shows that he doesn't just provide for our needs. See, look, first let's read 13 and 14. From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. He's providing for needs. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock, plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring forth food from the earth. He provides for us. But look at this, not just our needs. He provides for our joy for our joy. Look at verse 15. And he provides wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. I love this verse. I absolutely love it. You know, you know what it's saying? That, that not only does God provide for your needs, not only does he give me a shirt to wear and food to eat and a, a place to live, he provides back on sorry about that bugs were biting me and I had to move around and in a shirt to wear he provides for my joy he provides for my joy would he have to do that I mean do I need joy think about it do, do I need to have a glad heart no I can survive without a glad heart. Do, do I uh, need to have a face that shines, to have smooth skin? That's that some translations you could translate that oil for to make his face shine is really like just a, a like smooth skin. That seems like a petty thing, doesn't it? But yet God desires your joy. Or how about uh, bread to strengthen your heart? See, see, God isn't just concerned with your needs; He also is concerned with your joy your joy he's a good god he's a good dad and he loves his kids don't be what i would call the church curmudgeon do you know what i mean by that here's what church curmudgeons do 
they, they rant and rave uh, about certain topics of doctrine or certain things or certain traditions and, and, and they'll, they'll teach and they'll agree with God's grace and, and all of these things, but they'll talk about how, how Jesus gives joy and how he provides, but then you get to know them and you get into their life and you find out, boy, they really don't have any joy. They're just grumpy. They're just kind of crusty. I call those people church curmudgeons. Their joy doesn't come from Jesus. Their joy comes from ranting and raving and gossiping and controlling and getting things the way they want. And usually when it gets to be the way they want, then they find something else to rant and rave and complain about. God cares about your joy. And the curmudgeons sometimes they, they, they ignore that fact and they get they get all excited about certain doctrine and obey the rules and get it right and blah, 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 blah. God wants you to be joyful and he provides for your joy. They they care more about church than they do about Jesus. And it makes them crusty, it makes them a drag to be around, to be quite honestly. Sure, they believe in all the fundamentals of the faith, but they're no fun. (laughs) No joy. Just judgment. They give fundamentalists a bad name because they take the fun out of it. But I would say we're fundamentalists. We believe in the fundamentals of the faith. But God would desire you to put the fun into it. To have joy. He cares about your joy. He provides for your joy. Wine to gladden the heart. He provides you good things to enjoy. Uh, even oil to make your face shine. Trivial things, yet God provides them because he wants you to have joy. Listen, you become the curmudgeon when you love God's word more than God himself. You become the curmudgeon when uh, you love doing church a certain way more than you love Jesus and his church. Guard your heart, note to self, God provides for your joy. So have some joy. You know, one of the things that that I used to tell our students and I've begun telling our board too is we got to make sure that we uh, take God very seriously, right? Take God very seriously and his word very seriously. But each other, we're not going to take each other seriously. We're going to laugh and we're going to have joy and we're going to be known for our joy. So if, if you're a curmudgeon, maybe you'd repent And you'd look at ways that God's provided for you to have joy. And you begin to love Jesus more than whatever that thing is you're upset about. I'm going to pray for you. You pray for me that I don't become... uh, Because there's areas in my life where I'm kind of crusty too, if I'm honest. We all need to seek joy, to seek Jesus. He goes on talking about how God provides in verse 16. He says, The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted... In them the birds build their nests. The stork has her home in the fir trees. The high mountains are for the wild goats. The rocks are a refuge for the rock badgers. Just more examples of God's provision. God is very great. Note to self, he's the ruler. Uh, Note to self, he provides for his creation. He provides both for our needs and he provides for our joy. And then E, note to self, God... Hey, so I'm editing the message right now and going through and realized I skipped point D. Never talked about it at all. Verses 19 through 23. Uh, But the fill-in is this. It is, note to self, God is sovereign 
over time. So now you got the fill-in. Note to self, God is sovereign over time. Uh, go study that this week. And again, I need to write myself a note about my notes because I forget things. So I love you. Back to the message. Not only provides, but he sustains all things. He holds it all together. He sustains it. The reason the world hasn't blown up and, and isn't creation isn't falling apart is because of God's sustaining power. The reason you're still breathing, I'm still breathing, is because of God's sustaining power. The reason, Lord willing, I'm right now still climbing up that hill on my bike is God's sustaining power. He sustains all things. Look at verse 24. Oh Lord, how manifold are your works. Isn't that true? How great, in other words, are your works. Front and center are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. And the earth is full of your creatures. He goes on talking about God sustaining things. He goes, here's the sea listing his creation. It's great and wide. It teems with creatures innumerable, living things both small and great. You ever seen the ocean? You ever watched any of those documentaries on History Channel or Discovery, like Planet Earth? And, you know, they take the underwater camera and you start to see the vastness of God's creative genius, even under the waters that you never see, but it's in the deep. And it's beautiful. God made all of that. And look at what it says. It says, he says, there go the ships, looking at his creation, and, and Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. These all look to you, verse 27, to give them their food in due season. And when you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they're filled with good things. They all look to God. They all look to God to provide. Why? Because he provides and he sustains for his creation. He sustains all things. He's the one in control. He's the one in charge. By the way, just going back to verse 26, you know, there go the ships, there go Leviathan. Leviathan is, is a creature we see show up a couple times in the Bible. And it's a, it, not really sure what it is, but it's some kind of big giant creature in the ocean. Maybe it's referring to a big whale. Maybe it's referring to some other creature that we don't know what it is even yet today. But what's amazing is the, the, the sea would have been, uh, the place of the deep would have been an uncontrollable place for ancient Israel, for the ancient uh, people in that time. And they just saw it as unwieldy and, and, and scary to get out in the midst of it. That's why the disciples were so scared in the midst of the storm on the Lake of Galilee. And if you want to throw even more terror into that, something they can't control, now throw the biggest monster in all of creation into the midst of that, and you have great fear among people. And and when we fear that things are out of control, we, we turn our sights from God, we turn them to us, and how is this, how is this going to work out? But look what it says about Leviathan and the sea. There go the ships, and there goes Leviathan, which you formed to play in it. So this big thing that's unwieldy, that no man can sustain, that no man can control. Ben Stewart had challenged, he made this, this observation, I thought it was a great one. He goes, and there goes Leviathan. So this big scary thing in the midst of something we can't control or sustain is God's rubber ducky. <laughs> he sustains all things. He's in control of all things. He rules all things. He provides for his creation. And all of it looks to him. It all looks to him. 
verse 27, to give food in due season. And when you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they're filled with good things. When you hide your face, they're dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. When you send forth your spirit, when you send forth their spirit, they're created. And you renew the face of the ground. This idea of renewal of God's creation is really at the heart of the entire story of Scripture. See, in the beginning, when God creates everything, He creates it all good. And then we screw it up. We sin and we mess it all up. But then what He's doing is He's going throughout history and Jesus comes. He lives a perfect life that we couldn't, pays the penalty for sin, His death on the cross so that we don't have to die and that we can live through Him. And what's going to happen in the end is God's going to renew everything back to the way it was in the beginning. Only better. Instead of a garden uh, with, a, with a tree in the middle, you're going to have a city with a garden with a tree in the middle. Instead of a, 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 a tree that you can't eat from in the middle of the garden, you're going to have a tree with, with fruit every month that you can eat from in the garden. There's a river through the garden in the beginning. There's a river through the city in the end. And God's going to take everything and he's going to renew it in the end. See, look, when you send forth your spirit, they're created and you renew the face of the ground in this case, in other words, the seasons. But really, you need to know that it's also true that the Holy Spirit, when you trust Jesus, comes to renew you. And he renews me. That the old is gone, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. There's a new creation. You're renewed. You're made new. God is still at work in the midst of his creation, renewing us by the power of his spirit, sustaining us by the power of his spirit. Have you trusted him? If you have, you know what I'm talking about by being renewed. If you haven't, repent, which just means to turn. Turn to Jesus and let him make you new. So note to self, the psalmist ends. For all these reasons, bless the Lord. Honor Jesus. Put him first. Because the reality is you're going to forget. I'm going to forget this week. And I need to have that sticky note in front of me that says, Note to self, bless the Lord. Look. May the glory of the Lord, verse 31, endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his work, in his works, who looks on the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have being. The psalmist is like, listen, note to self, bless the Lord. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to remember all these things. I'm going to remember that God uh, is very great. I'm going to remember that God is the ruler of all things. I'm going to remember that God provides for his creation. He provides for my needs and he provides for my joy. And I'm going to remember that God sustains all things. And I things and I'm going to remember to bless the Lord. And you know how I'm going to do it? One of the ways I'm going to do it is I'm going to sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. And he prays, may the meditation, may my meditation be pleasing to him for I rejoice in the Lord. Let sinners be consumed from the earth. Let the wicked be no more, but bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah is that word. How about you? What are the notes you need to write to yourself this week to remind yourself of the goodness of your God? So that you'd be reminded to bless him. Maybe you need to get outside like I am right now and just 
listen to this creation chirp and make noise. Feel the wind blow on you and his grace. Maybe you need to look around at your family or look around at your possessions and all the ways that he's provided for you. The ways he's provided for your needs. The ways he's provided for you to have joy. Maybe you need to look around at a world that's in chaos and remember that God is our ruler yet. Maybe you need to look around and and look back at your life and look at how he's sustained you this whole time. Note to self, bless the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thanks for Jesus and thanks for your grace to us through him. Lord, the truth is I turn my eyes away from him all the time and I turn them on myself and I get consumed with my wants and my desires and my agenda and my busyness and I forget to bless the Lord. Jesus, remind me this week, even as I'm on my bike, for the rest of us as we go about our our day-to-day lives, remind us to bless you, to look at your creation and your greatness, to look at your, your rule and reign over all of it, to look at your provision, not just our needs, but our joy. Help us to choose joy, to choose to be like Jesus. And Lord, I pray for those who've never trusted you, that today might even be the day as they hear my voice, that Spirit, you'd work in and through it in such a way that they would recognize that they need to be renewed by the power of your Spirit, and they need to be sustained by the power of your Spirit, and they would repent and turn to Jesus and be made new. And Lord, for all of us, remind us this week to bless the Lord. As Isaac leads us in singing now, and... uh, Uh, just upbeat and joyful. Might we be like the psalmist, as he said in Psalm 104, verse 33, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Father, thanks for Jesus. I pray all of this through him. Amen.